Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord, for an opportunity to come together, Lord, and just celebrate you. Celebrate how good you've been. Celebrate your faithfulness in our lives. Just celebrating Jesus, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you that you give us the ability to praise you, to honor you, to worship you. And we pray today, Father God, open our hearts, tenderize our hearts, that as your word goes forth, Father God, Lord, I pray for the power of your spirit. Penetrate our hearts, Lord. Move within us, God, that when we leave from here, Father, we would be deeper in love with Jesus. We ask you, O oh God, have your way in us that we would lay down our lives, pick up the cross, and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, family, it's all last week was uh, a busy week, but it was exciting to see the, the, the faces and the little children, the responses, and them running around, and then, you know, you. There was an excitement in them getting here. And I was like, man, praise God. You know, excited about coming to church. You don't see that often. And so to be able to see that was exciting. And so today, even being able to see all the little kids, if you can notice, most of the church is on that side now. That's our next generation coming up, already preparing them. And so uh, it, it's exciting to me to see that. Now, we will be... Next week, whoa, that sounded like I'm in different places now. Uh, I think that should be good. Uh, next week, we're going to be having a little video that's going to show, right, the, the VBS, like pictures from the VBS. So, uh, again, that'll be a good time to be able to just get to see it and enjoy everything that took place. And we will be needing uh, security people, right? Security people if, after church, if they can meet with Brother Eddie. Uh, he's somewhere around there, Brother Eddie or Brother Adam, to talk about, oh, there you go, uh, Top Gun security right there. So uh, we, so we could, uh, uh, yeah, enlist more folks, man, because we already know the neighborhood we're in. You know, we need a few more uh, men that will be able to be willing to lay down their lives for uh, the sake of the gospel. And when I mean lay down their lives, you never know, for real. Might be time to go, go home, but we'll be with Jesus. So now let's go ahead and keep going with the Gospel of Mark. So we've been the last few Sundays studying through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, Mark, again, is, is a letter. He begins off the letter with this. It says, in the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, and so what we see that in the Gospel of Mark, the whole theme is already from the very beginning. And, and in this theme, he's showing us who Jesus is. He's saying that this is the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that they were expecting to come. And so not only does he say that he's the Messiah, but that he is the son of God. Now, if the first title didn't shake the religious people, the second title surely shook the religious people. To say that he is the son of God, and on top of that, we also learn that John the Baptist came and he was preparing the way for the true king of Israel that, that would come. 
And so now we see that Jesus came in and, and he was preaching the news about the coming kingdom. He said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. You see, Jesus is the true king from God's kingdom. The people then were experiencing the very power of this kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. People were being healed. People were being liberated from demonic oppression. And so we see the authority of Jesus where He had full authority over not only the physical realm, but the spiritual realm as well. And many of the people that were around Jesus were astonished as Jesus was exercising power and authority of this kingdom. But now we get to a very interesting part that will flip inside out the religious people. The religious people were already in opposition to Jesus. They didn't like what Jesus was doing. They're like, hey, 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 hold on. We want everything calm. We want everything quiet, everything organized. And when Jesus was coming in, people were falling out. People were praising God. People were being healed. Just all kind of crazy stuff was going on. But Jesus was being worshipped. It said that the fame of Jesus was spreading. Can you imagine that? The very fame of Jesus was spreading. And so what we're going to see in these following passages are three important areas. The first one is that the kingdom of God contains both good works and the word of God itself. And so the next thing that we will see about Jesus' kingdom is that people are pursuing the king, but it is through faith that they pursue the king. And the next thing that we will see is that the king will bring healing to our most important need that we have. The greatest need that you and I have is what Jesus will address in this next passage. And so what we find here in the very first part of chapter 2, verse 1, it says that he returned to Capernaum. Now Capernaum was a prosperous place it was a place where a lot of fishing took place it was on the northwest shore of the sea of galilee and capernaum was one of those important cities like all kind of different traffic took place there different kind of roads intersected there just imagine like for example like the the port of houston it makes Houston a, a, a huge place now because all kind of uh, different uh, boats come in. They bring all kind of different things. There's a lot of trading that takes place. Then you have I-10, you have 45, and they go all across the country because I-10 go from the east to the west. Like, it, it covers a lot of states. And so you see that Houston's like a hub for all kind of stuff to take place. Well, Capernaum was one of those places, but in a smaller scale. And so what we see is that Jesus had made this place like his headquarters. Like it's a place that he traveled to a lot. So Capernaum is an important place. Now the last time that Jesus was in Capernaum was in 
chapter 1, verse 21, and it says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And to go along in verse 29, it says, I mean, verse 23, and it says, And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. So Jesus was already healing in this city. There was all kind of stuff that was already taking place. Jesus was preaching the gospel and Jesus was healing people. And what you began to see is that so many people began to surround Jesus. They were excited. They're like, man, there's this guy that's healing people, man. Let's go out there. So there's an excitement. So when Jesus came back to this town, guess what happened? People were excited. They're like, Jesus is coming back in. So look at what happens. It says, and he returned to Capernaum after some days, and it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. Can you imagine church being that way? Man, like all kind of people coming in because they want to hear about Jesus. Bro, that would be exciting, right? I mean, imagine like, you know, Texas game ain't nothing compared to people wanting to hear about Jesus, right? You know, the, the playoffs ain't nothing in comparison to wanting to hear about Jesus. That would be awesome, huh? And so what we see here is that so many people were drawn in. They were excited to hear about Jesus. They were pressing in because they wanted to experience more miracles. They wanted to get a taste of what Jesus was doing. So what we find here, man, that the house was packed, people all outside. Man, I, I could only imagine. I mean, you know, when we have birthday parties or, you know, like we used to call it pachangas and all kind of people everywhere outside and it's just a, a madhouse. Can you imagine here, though? Everyone right there just pushing in, wanting to hear more. And so the good news of Jesus had traveled. People had came in. Now people were there. But look at what Jesus is doing. He says, and he was preaching the word to them. This is very, very important for us to see. All kind of people were drawing in and Jesus took the opportunity to preach to them. He didn't start a, a, a healing service. He was preaching the word of God. That is so important for us to see because good works is a crucial part of spreading the gospel of the kingdom. It's a crucial part. But doing good is not the only part of Christianity. Because if it were, Christianity would be like every other religion. Imagine, it would be like following just these examples and trying to fulfill these ethical standards. It would be as long as I do these good things, I'm good then. You see, the message of the gospel is essential. It is the gospel that produces these good works within us. We don't do good works so that God can love us. God already loves us because of what Jesus did. And that's what moves us to good works. Christianity is about what Christ came to do for us. 
that we are saved by faith in what Jesus has done for us. So it is important that people will hear what Jesus has done for us. To deny that, to withhold the good news from people is not truly loving them then. You follow with me, family? Loving them, you serve them, but you also share Jesus. Why do we do what we do? Not because we want a pat in the back or a star next to our name. We do what we do because of what Jesus has done for us. That is our motivation. That is what moves us. And so the message of the gospel goes along with good works that flow out of a person whose life is being changed by the grace of God. And so Jesus' authority was being experienced both in word and in deed. So God's word is essential in our lives for the mission of God that he's entrusted us with. But second, this is what we also see in the following verses. We are going to see how people were pursuing the king, but it is through faith that they pursue the king. Look at what he says in the following verse, verse uh, 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Man, I, this is blows me away. I mean, they were going to do whatever it took to get their homie to Jesus. Whatever it took. To the point that they would tear the roof. This, this would give Marshall some kind of business there, right? Because Mar Marshall's in the, and, and laying down roofs and stuff. So this would be great for him right here. And they were tearing up the roof to get to Jesus. This blew me away. Because remember, that it says that there were so many people around there that they couldn't get to Jesus. I mean, the house was packed. The outside of the house was packed. So they couldn't get to Jesus, but that did not stop them. They continued to press through. And this is something good for us to see, family. That these men displayed a determination to get to Jesus. Although they could not get near him because of the crowd, I mean, think about it. They see all the people everywhere. They're like, you know what, homie? I'm going to just leave you here. I'm not going to be able to take you over there, right? They could have just been discouraged. Oh, it's a lot of people. Maybe next time. No, they continued. They could have said, look, look, it's too difficult to get through there. They could have came out with a list of excuses so that they wouldn't get to Jesus. Discouragement could have stopped them. They could have said, you know what? Jesus ain't getting to pay attention to us. There's so many people here. Can you imagine? So many things that could have gone in their hearts. But these four men did not give up. They, didn't, they did not crumble under the pressure. They said, we must get to Jesus no matter what. 
No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, we must get to Jesus. He said that they removed the roof and made an opening. He said they let down the bed all the way down. Man, they were working together to make sure they accomplished the mission. This is what we're seeing that these men were determined to get their friend to Jesus. These obstacles became opportunities for the glory of God. And out of pressure came perseverance. These men didn't crumble. It is determination that crumbled the walls of discouragement. They continued to go. They continued to press on. But what was it? What was it about these men that continued to carry through? Look at what verse 5 says. And when Jesus saw their hard work, when Jesus saw how hard they were trying, when Jesus saw that it was for, no, it says when Jesus saw their faith. It is when Jesus saw their faith. It is faith that Jesus saw in them. It is not faith in faith, or it is not, let me do good works to try to get greater faith. It was faith like a mustard seed in Jesus. It is in Jesus. It is when our eyes are, are upon the Savior. No matter the challenge, no matter the circumstance, no matter if discouragement is trying to drown us, it is faith that shines bright in those dark hours. It is faith that is anchored in Jesus. And that's what continues within us. It produces this perseverance. It is faith that Jesus, you are our healer. It is faith that Jesus, you are our comfort. You are our protector. You are our shepherd. You are our substitute. You took our place on the cross. My sins have been forgiven. Devil, you are a liar because I'm no longer who I used to be. It is faith in what Jesus has done for us. Your eyes are on the Savior, not on the people. When our eyes look to the people, I'm telling you, we create a long list of why not to come, why not to serve, why not to do, why not to do. Man, we could give a long list. Our eyes need to be on Jesus. It is faith in Jesus that produces perseverance, persistence, determination. Even in our weaknesses, the Bible says, my grace is sufficient for you. That in your weakness, my strength is perfected in you. But if we do not acknowledge that we are weak, how can we ever be made strong in Christ? It's important that we acknowledge, and Lord, man, I'm weak, man. Seriously. Lord, I struggle in this area. Lord, man, I, who am I trying to impress? I need you, Lord. I need you. I recognize that I'm in a desperate need, but Lord, you said your grace is sufficient for me. So what are we faced with today? What has been drowning us with worries? When we look to the text, Jesus saw their faith. Not whether they were doing good or bad. Not if they had a good day or a bad day. He saw their faith. A diamond amongst the rest of the graces, man. 
Are you looking to Jesus? He brings peace upon the storms of life. Jesus does. Don't rely on how well you obey or you don't obey. Because when you rely on that, you'll be discouraged every day. Or you'll be filled with pride. Look to Jesus. It is Christ who begins to do this glorious work within His family. And another thing that we see is that they were doing this in community. It was four men with their homie that they were carrying. It was in community that they were pursuing Jesus. It says that they came together and they pursued Jesus. See, Jesus saw their faith. Not only one person's faith, but all their faith coming together. So what does it tell us as God's people? Oh, the importance, the importance, the importance of being in community. Isolation, isolation is a tactic of the enemy. Trying to isolate you and keep you out there. But God calls us in community, and we see here, striving together in one accord. Striving together. And so they came together and they were pursuing the king through faith. Now the next thing that we see then in this text is that the king heals us of our greatest need. Our greatest need that we have. And so in verse 5 it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Man. Look, look, look. Like for real, for real. I'm going to keep it 100. Because... <laughs> Here they go, they tried real hard to bring their friend here so that their friend will be healed. And Jesus, you say that your sins are forgiven? Like, man, I want my homie to walk again. I want them to be able to move again, run again. That's why we brought them in here. And Jesus, I I'm sure they were surprised. They were like, what? Jesus, what? I thought you was just going to touch him and then get up and then get going. But he says your sins are forgiven. Say, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus' response to this man was unexpected and surprising to them. I'm sure they expected something different from Jesus. But Jesus forgave their sins. What do we see from this passage then? What do we see in here? That there is something more radical and more necessary than physical healing. There is a deeper need that we all have. And that is to be reconciled with God. That is a greater need that all of us have. To be in a right standing with God. When we suffer physical illness or material distress or any trouble, the most important thing for us is to be right with God. It's to be closer with God. The psalmist said this, It is the nearness of God that is my good. Out of everything. He said, it is the nearness of God that's my good. So, the main thing here was that they needed sp spiritual healing. They needed to be reconciled to God. Not so much for him to be physically healed, but spiritually healed. 
Jesus had been showing us that physical and external are not insignificant. They are important. But what is more important is to be reconciled with God. Our troubles in life are heavier and our sufferings go deeper when we walk without God. When God is not in the picture, man, I'm telling you, it's like you're walking in the middle of a storm. It's like you're walking all by yourself. And you're like, where did God go? But God didn't go nowhere. It's us that w walked away. And so what we see here is that, look, it is more important to be reconciled to God than to receive your physical healing. More important. You see, it is through faith, it is we walk by faith, is that we step out in faith. Jesus' work on the cross is for you and me. So what he did on the cross brought us together. So the healing took place from inside out. To have our souls restored back to God. To be in a right relationship with God. Imagine bearing the weight of condemnation and hiding in the shadows of guilt. Man, it will be destructive to our souls, family. But when you taste the grace of God, when you experience the liber liberating power of His grace, that all weary sinners can come and find rest in Jesus. When the chains of condemnation are broken off, when grace tells you Jesus bore your shame and your guilt, you don't have to hide no more. When grace tells you there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ, when grace tells you you are a child of God no matter what you've done, when grace reminds you of the promises that are yours because of what Jesus did on the cross, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. Oh God, our God pursues us to the ends of the earth and He brings us back. Not one, not one will be snatched away from his hand. And that is the promise of this good news. This good news to our heart. This medicine to our soul. Because we know that the only disease that truly kills is sin. And our medicine then that really cures is to be forgiven. And that is offered to us by Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ himself. So we see the tenderness of Jesus here. We see that He sees the inner cries of our heart. And we see that He responds with grace. He didn't stop them four people and say, Hey, wait a minute. How well have you lived your life lately? He didn't stop them four people and said that. He didn't tell the paralytic, Maybe you deserve that. He didn't do that. Jesus showed grace and upon grace and upon grace, he said, your sins are forgiven. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. That shows a relational component to all of this. Son, your sins are forgiven. And what 
blew the people's mind is that what he said at that moment is that instantaneously, like right now, your sins are forgiven. At the claim of what Jesus said, their sins were forgiven. He didn't say, look, after you leave from here, you're going to have to do a few things so that your sins can be forgiven. No, your sins are forgiven. And this is what shook the religious people's boots off, man. They were like, what? How can you say that their sins are forgiven? Look at what he says in the following text. It says, son, your sins are forgiven, verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Notice the text says, in their hearts. They weren't speaking this. This was in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Why is he blaspheming? Because who can forgive sins but God alone? Man. Hey, it's getting intense now here. Like, for real. Like, if anything shook the story, this moment shook the story. Like, they're all right. They're okay. Jesus is doing little miracles here and there. Casting a few demons out and everything. You know, all right, talking about Jesus, talking about the Word of God. But the moment that, they, that he said, your sins are forgiven, man, them religious folks were like, whoa, wait a minute. That's blasphemy. How can you say that your sins are forgiven? So blasphemy is when, when, when you take upon yourself the rights of God. It is to equate yourself with God is to claim deity. And that would be blasphemy for a human to do that. That's why they're like, wait, wait a minute. How can you say that your sins are forgiven? For only God can do that. Family, this very part of the passage, we see the very claim that Jesus made. He equated himself with God. So what is he saying? Son, your sins are forgiven. Immediately they're forgiven. If only God can do that, what are you saying then, Jesus? You have the same power to forgive? Hmm. Little, little question to, to kind of like stir the, the pot a little. The religious folks were upset. And then Jesus, so Jesus continues. Look, 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 look at what he does. He's okay. And immediately Jesus perceiving in the spirit that they thus question within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Jesus, you're looking inside my heart now. Look, I'm telling you, every single step Jesus was making, man, he is expressing the authority of God here on earth. Because how can he hear like, hey, what are you thinking at me? What? What? You were saying that? You'll be blown away like, whoa, am I thinking out loud or what? Is it? They perceived it in their heart. They set this inside of their heart. And Jesus knew what was in their heart. There was another evidence of his deity, of him having knowledge. Now, something I want to raise up is this. As we analyze this next part of the passage. When someone sins against you, follow with me. When someone sins against you, they have 
cost you something. So to forgive means that you do not hold them liable for the cost as a debt. But instead, you absorb that cost yourself. So follow with me. Let's say, for example, if Emmy, Emmy, Josh, and AJ, they're, they're playing, uh, uh, let's say, uh, what is it, PlayStation? What, what's out there? PlayStation 4, right? And so they're play, playing PlayStation 4, and, and AJ owns this game, right? And they're all playing. And all of a sudden, Emmy has to get up to run to the restroom, and, and bat, he steps on the game and crushes it. AJ's normal response would not be like, oh, Emmy, it'll be fine, don't worry. We'll just get another one, right? That wouldn't be it. He would probably be upset, like, whoa, Amy, what you doing? Right? Like, he'd get crunk in there. But now, follow with me. So, Amy just destroyed that PlayStation. And let's say AJ has been working hard, and so he paid it with his own money. Man, praise the Lord, right? <laughs> and so, what he has to do is absorb the cost now. He says, okay, Emmy, I forgive you for what you've done. I absorb the cost. I'm not going to charge you for it. That's forgiven him. AJ exercises forgiveness. I'm not holding you liable to this no more. I'm not going to hold it against you. Next week when you come over here, I'm not going to be sarcastically saying things to throw it back in your face. Because I forgave you already. I forgave you. But what about if Josh gets up and Josh tells Emmy, Emmy, I forgive you for breaking my brother's PlayStation. Would that really be counting? No, because who owned it? AJ. Against who was that, that moment of the PlayStation being broken? Against AJ. He's the one that had to absorb the cause, not Josh. So Josh saying, I, I forgive you, doesn't really count. It's when AJ says, I forgive you, that truly counts. Because the offense was against him. So when Jesus says, I forgive you, guess what's happening? I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. He's saying that that offense was against me at the end of the day. Our sins were against him. So at that very moment, the religious leaders knew that. They're like, how can you forgive? Because we sin against God. And you're saying you forgive their sins. You're saying then you're God. That's what you're trying to say. And Jesus said, son... Your sins are forgiven. So what we see here then is that Jesus exercised forgiveness to him. And he says, verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic? That your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your mat and walk? To take up your bed and walk. Which one's easier? Well, 
logically, it will be easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one can actually see what takes place inside, right? So it's a lot harder to tell someone, hey, pick up your bed and walk when they've been crippled all this time, all right? So Jesus raises up that question. I mean, I'm telling you, Jesus, uh, man, that's why he's Lord, man. Like, the way he's working all of this. He says, which was easier to do? So, this is what he goes in verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man, again, a title that was given to Jesus. A title from the Old Testament in the book of Daniel that was given to Jesus. The long-awaited one that would come, said the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said, look, just to show you that I have authority, because, again, the kingdom authority that was being extended, that I have authority here on earth, I'm going to prove something to you, which he didn't have to do, but yet Jesus is merciful, even to the most rebellious of people. Check this out. So he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Verse 12, and he rose, immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all. In front of everyone, in front of the religious people, in front of the critics, in front of the ones that were accusing him, in front of all the people, he got up and he walked out. Can you imagine How many mouths probably dropped? What? Ooh, like, man, like, he just did that. So the people that were there to get healed, they were like, and the religious folks didn't have nothing else to say. With that very moment, everyone was blown away. It says, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. They were all amazed. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. He heard the religious people in their hearts. He said, you know what? Because you're raising up these kind of questions, because you're doubting, Let me exercise my authority and my power. I know it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because people won't see. And it's a lot harder to tell a person that's been paralyzed for a long time to get up and walk. So I'm going to display my authority and my power through this. His word, his word gives life. His word gives power. Jesus' word, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? Lazarus came forth, being dead. He came forth. In this very moment, he says, rise. Man, at the command of Jesus, this is what happens. It is by the power of his word that he holds the universe together. So in this very moment, look at everything Jesus is putting on display. He is king of the kingdom of God. And he is displaying this power here on earth. He's showing the kind of power this kingdom is coming with. There's something new coming through. 
and he was restoring lives. He was healing people. But most importantly, he was offering forgiveness to sinners. So what we see from here, family, is not so much the healing that took place in the physical realm. But what took place in the spiritual realm was the true healing that we all need. And that is forgiveness for all of our sins. And that is what the gospel offers to you and I. And that is what you and I offer to the people. The king in his kingdom, he's coming in. And he's inviting people into his kingdom. He says, repent and believe the gospel. The invitation to partake in this kingdom. To be kingdom people here on earth, family. To be preaching and proclaiming the good news of our king. We live in a time and age where people are raising up all kind of kings around them. Looking to all kind of other people for saviors. But there is only one true savior and one true king. And that is God's king, Jesus. And that is who we preach, that is who we proclaim, and that is who we live for. So today, as we close out this time, be reminded that your sins have been forgiven. Your past, present, and future sins have been paid for at the cross of Calvary. So anytime the enemy tries to ring it again in front of you, you remind them of what took place 2,000 years ago at the cross. His grace is sufficient. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory and honor belong to you. Majesty and power belong to you. Oh, you who are the ancient of days who have come into this world to set up this kingdom here on earth. And this power of this kingdom is experienced in each and every one of our lives when we believe in you, O oh God. And so we pray today, Father God, that you would move mightily in our lives, that you would remind us that our greatest need has been provided for the, the deepest need that our soul had, which was to be reconciled to you, O oh God, has been provided for. And that provision, we find it in the gospel, that Jesus is sufficient for us, O oh God. And so we thank you today. We pray, Lord, that you remind us daily to look to Jesus. That when the currents of life try to drown us, that we cry out to Jesus. That when the worries of this world begin to blind us, that we cry out to Jesus. Oh, as Peter that was drowning, it is the hand of Jesus that was extended to him. Lord, we thank you that you will never let us go. Oh, no, you never let go. Oh, no, you never let go. We thank you, God. We bless your holy name. And we pray today, Lord, that wherever we find ourselves at in this journey that we're in, 
God, that your gospel is still as real today like the very first time we believed in it. And so we pray, God, help us daily to go for it for spiritual nourishment. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.